This picture is meaningful to me. I've shared it with you many times in the past. But it speaks to me of complete sacrifice. This picture speaks a thousand words. As you think about this Marine and thousands of others just like him, who over the years have given their life for this country. It speaks of his knowing the risk, of his knowing what he's leaving behind. As he made the choice to leave his family, to leave his children, perhaps because in his mind there were values of this country that needed to be protected. That as he thought about his children, as he thought about his family, in his mind he knew that to protect them, this country needed to be secure. And so he loaded a ship, or he got on a plane, and he left to enter danger. knowing the risk and willing to make a sacrifice. This weekend, tomorrow, is the day that our Congress and our President for generations have said, we're going to set aside to remember the sacrifice of those men and those women the sacrifice that they have made to secure this country, to protect the values, to protect the freedoms that we hold dear, that define us. But I wonder how many of us truly stop to memorialize and to remember that sacrifice. I think that for too many of us in our country, Monday is just another day off. It's a day to go to the park. It's a day to spend time with family. And by the way, it's a good thing to spend time with your family. It's a good thing to go to the park and spend the day with your friends and relatives. Those are good things. But do we stop to take time to think about the sacrifice? There is another sacrifice. An even greater sacrifice. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. How much do we truly remember that sacrifice and what it is that Jesus did for us? Do we merely pay lip service to that sacrifice of Jesus? Or is it something that we truly remember and think about? As we think about the Lord's Supper and the role that it plays in our worship service, 
Are we honoring that memorial? This morning I want us to think about how we can ignore or how we might make it ordinary and contrast that with how we can make it honorable. Consider how sometimes we might make it ordinary. Sometimes as we repeat things, they become comfortable to us, so much so that we treat what was once special as an everyday thing, as an ordinary thing. We take something that was unique, something that was special to us, and we're so comfortable with it, don't we ever do that? That it's no longer special to us. And that's what sometimes we do with Memorial Day. Sometimes that's what we might be tempted to do with the Lord's Supper. Certainly, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, that was something that they were struggling with. Notice what Paul writes to the church at Corinth as we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul begins speaking to the church at Corinth in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. He says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place... When you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Paul begins to chastise this church because they are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. Now now consider the context for a second of the Lord's Supper. As we think about the, the Lord's Supper, we realize that, first of all, it, it was something that, at least in the early days of the church, it was in the midst of a bigger supper. They were literally having a meal. Now, now think about what Jesus did with the apostles. In Matthew chapter 26, for instance, we find the parallel in Mark. We find it also in Luke chapter 22. But Jesus literally was eating a Passover meal with his disciples. And that was a religious meal. It was a sacred meal, but it was a meal. I mean, they had roasted meat, they had vegetables, they had all sorts of things. By the time the first century rolled around, within Judaism, they had it detailed as exactly what you were doing in various stages of that meal. That part's true. But it was a meal. And so as Jesus is meeting with his apostles and he's instituting the Lord's Supper, what you and I are going to call the Lord's Supper, what Paul calls the Lord's Supper, they were eating that Lord's Supper as part of a larger meal. That's true. And in fact, in the early days of the church, they called that meal, we seem to think, from sources in Scripture and outside of churches, they called that meal a love feast. Doesn't that seem strange? What would people think if you said, oh, I've got to go to church, we're having a love feast? Well, doesn't that sound kind of weird? But that's, that's evidently what they, what they called those meals. In fact, in Jude verse 12, Jude is talking about those who would lead the church away, and, and he says, these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, 
when they feast with you without fear. And so a love feast well, it was a time, and it came to take on a different kind of to say, perhaps in response to what Paul's going to say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that it became a different meal in a different part of the day, but it was an opportunity for members of the church that were wealthy to provide for poorer members of the church, perhaps widows and orphans and just those that were indigent. And they would have a meal and they would provide things for the meal and people would be able to eat. In fact, there's some extra biblical sources, writings from Christians in the 2nd and 3rd centuries that even outline specifically how you're supposed to take care of the take-home containers. Can you imagine that? And so they had these love feasts. But it appears as we look at Scripture that at least in the early days of the church, they had a meal, and within that meal, or a part of that meal, they had the Lord's Supper. And what Paul's talking to the church at Corinth is, is you've taken that Lord's Supper, you've taken that love feast, and you have made it a mockery. He says, do you despise the church? Are you bringing shame on your brethren? He says, what you're doing is not eating the Lord's Supper. You've made a mockery of it. You have forgotten what it is all about. And so Paul says to them, what are you doing? But that context is that meal. But they had missed the importance of the church's worship and the church's fellowship. There are some that weren't even able to, to get there in time to eat the meal. Notice verse 33. He says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. There are some who believe that because there are so many slaves in Corinth, it was such a, a labor-heavy town, that perhaps some of the people in the church of Corinth were slaves, and, and because of that, they didn't exactly control their schedules. And maybe they weren't able to get to church on time, all the time. And because of that, you had wealthy members of the church there. You had people that were well-to-do there. They were able to enjoy the meal and, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. But there are some people that they weren't able to get. They, everything was gone before they even had a chance to get to where the worship service was. And so Paul is saying, you have to wait. There is a component of which this is something that we are sharing together. And because of that, it was becoming a source of factions. Notice again verse 19. He says, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Who's approved to take the meal? Who are the good guys in the church? Who are the people that we want to take note of in the church? Paul says there are factions so that you can identify well, who's approved and who's not. And because there were factions in the church... There was division in the church. Notice again verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. Paul says, maybe tongue-in-cheek, I don't know, but Paul says, I hear that there's divisions among you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But there's a part of me that believes it. And these divisions, these factions, were taking place because of the way they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. The fact that some in the church weren't even able to, to participate in the Lord's Supper because they had made it a feast, they had made it a personal supper, made it something ordinary rather than what it was intended to be. And the very fact that there was division in the church surrounding the Lord's Supper flew in the face of what Paul had said earlier about the Lord's Supper. Turn back a page to chapter 10. And notice what he says beginning in verse 16. 
He says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the bread, of the one bread. Now in the context of chapter 10, what Paul is talking about is idolatry. But part of his art and eating the sacrifice to idols, in the, in the midst of that longer argument, one of the key parts of his argument is he's, is he's comparing the sacrifice of idols to the Lord's Supper. And he says, guys, don't you understand that when we come together to eat the Lord's Supper, we are all sharing in the cup together. We are all eating the bread together. And therefore, we all have a part in the cup. We all have a sharing in the body. We are supposed to be one. We are supposed to be unified. And so as Paul has used that as a part of his component against or dealing with eating sacrificial meat, sacrificed to idols, in chapter 10, he's talking about the unity of the church based around the Lord's Supper. And then he comes over to chapter 11 and he says, Guys, you're missing the boat because you're causing divisions. You're causing factions over the way that you're making the Lord's Supper a mockery and abusing it, and taking advantage of one another. And he says, you're failing to remember what the Lord's Supper is all about. And so Paul says, what is it that you are doing? Verse 22, what, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? they were failing to remember the significance of the supper, which was the sacrificial work of Jesus, memorialized in the bread and the wine. By their actions, they were making it a mockery. They were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper and shaming poor Christians. And Paul says, if this is left uncorrected, this behavior has eternal consequences. Notice verses 27 following. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the wine of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Think about what Paul is saying in this passage. Paul is pointing out that as we eat and drink the cup in a wrong fashion, in an unworthy manner, we are being guilty of the blood and the body of Christ. What is it that he's talking about here? He says the one that does this, he's going to be guilty that is, guilty of the crime or an heir against the body and the blood of Jesus. Well, what is it that he's done? Paul says, or Paul describes it, 
as eating the bread or drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. Now, it's important for us to look at this phrase carefully. Some translations, some older translations, used to say in an unworthily. And we would think about the person worshiping and we would say, oh, they're unworthy. But what Paul's talking about here in the Greek, I know some people don't like it when I go to the Greek, but he's using a Greek adverb. And what do adverbs do? They define or describe an action, right? They define a verb. So he's not talking about the person being unworthy. He's talking about an unworthy behavior, an unworthy action, maybe an unworthy attitude. He's not talking about maybe you mess up in something you say with regard to the Lord's Supper. He's talking about our behavior. He's not talking about a person being unworthy. He's talking about the behavior. And in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the unworthy or the unworthy conduct is making that meal a common meal, leaving some folks out. This isn't act, the act of, of arguing on the way to church. Have you ever done that? Arguing on the way to church and you have a big blow up, you have a big fight as you're in the car, maybe you're uh, getting into the car and there's a big fight, you know, you and your spouse or maybe you and your kids and you get to church and what do you tell yourself? I don't know if I can worship, I'm in such a bad mood. Or maybe you're sitting there as the communion tray is coming down the, the pew, down the row, and, and you think, I can't do this, I, I'm not in the right mindset. That's what not Paul's talking about. As he's talking about an unworthy manner. And Paul's not talking about uh, whether you, you, you say something wrong as part of the communion service. He's not talking about acting or the feeling of, of maybe thinking that you're unworthy. There are some folks, I've heard people say this, you know, I, I just, spiritually speaking, I just had a bad week. And I just sinned so many times. It was one of the most sinful weeks I've had as a Christian. I, I, and because of that, I don't feel worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Paul's not describing the person. He's describing a behavior. And the behavior is making a mockery of the memorial of the Lord's Supper. It's a question about how we view the supper, how we treat the supper. There are some, like Ephraim Smith, who argue the idea of viewing the body, when you look at verse 29, who does not judge the body rightly. He argues that in context of chapter 10, describing the body as the church, as you have a oneness in eating the body, or the bread of Christ, that perhaps the idea of body also is the idea of how you judge the church. Because in the context of chapter 11, you're mistreating the church, despising the church by how they were eating the meal. But as Paul is talking here in 1 Corinthians, he says, if you make the Lord's Supper a mockery church at Corinth, I want you to know that there is a judgment. You bring judgment on yourself. And the word for judgment here means condemnation or the execution of a sentence. And did you notice that the judgment here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a judgment or an execution of that sentence this life? He says there are some that are weak 
There are some that are sick, maybe weak or sick physically, maybe weak or sick spiritually. But then he says, and a number have fallen asleep. And Paul uses that word for sleep as a euphemism in a number of different places in his letters that he writes to churches. And he uses it as a euphemism for death. And so Paul's saying, because you at the church of Corinth are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper, you're bringing judgment on yourself. And he says, at the church of Corinth, there are some that God is bringing judgment on because of the way you're making a mockery of the Lord's Supper, that you are weak or you are sick, and even that there are some that die as God's judgment. But then he says that the judgment is for discipline. It's for discipline. So that you will not be judged with the rest of the world. And he talks of the impending judgment at the end of the world in which God has judged the world and there are going to be some in the world that are eternally, eternally lost. And Paul is saying, God disciplines you in life. He passes this judgment on you or you bring judgment on yourself because you're making a mockery of the Lord's Supper and God disciplines you in this life by becoming weak, by becoming sick, perhaps even by dying so that in the judgment at the end of the world, you won't be eternally lost with the rest of the world. But think about the implication of that for a minute. What if I don't respond to that discipline? What's the implication of me not responding to that discipline? As I make a mockery of the Lord's Supper, That's a devastating judgment. That's kind of a scary thing for us to think about. Could we make a mockery of the Lord's Supper today in the same way or as badly as the Corinthian church did? And so we need to ask ourselves, are we making a mockery of the Lord's Supper or are we shaming the brethren? Is Paul talking about losing focus, letting our minds wander during the Lord's Supper? Or is he talking about something else? He's talking about transforming the Lord's Supper from a moment of remembering Jesus' sacrificial work on our behalf into nothing special. And so how are we treating this moment? Are we continuing to keep it special, weak, after week. Do we just treat it like, well, I can just take the Lord's Supper whenever we want. It's no big deal. It's just another meal. It's just another thing that we do. We, we can do it on Saturdays if we want. We, we can do it at some other time if we want. Let's just do it whenever it's convenient. We need to be careful. If we make a mockery of this moment we might incur the same guilt as the Corinthians did, as Paul was warning them. We need to make sure that it's not just a sideshow in our worship. And so that's making it ordinary. But how do we make it honorable? Notice what Paul says. 
as he reminds the Corinthians of the origin and the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Verse 23. For this I received, or for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Paul reminds these Christians at Corinth about the purpose and the origin of the Lord's Supper. And it's interesting to me that Paul says, first of all, as we think about making it honorable, he says, this was the instruction that I received from the Lord directly. When did Jesus do that? Paul says, I didn't receive this from the other apostles. I wasn't taught this by, by other men. Remember Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about the fact that after his conversion, he spent, I think it was three years in the Arabia. Was he taught by God? Was he taught by Jesus during those three years? And was part of that teaching the significance and the importance and the origin of the Lord's Supper? To memorialize that? And what does he say about the Lord's Supper? He said that Jesus says this bread. He said on the night, Paul, that I, that I broke this with the disciples, the original disciples, I, I broke that bread with them. And I said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. What do you want us to remember about you, Jesus? I want you to remember my compassion. I want you to remember my love. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember that I, I left my throne in heaven. And I came and I dwelt among men, free from sin, surrounded by sin, to die for other people's sin. I want you to remember that I came in my humanity. And in my humanity, I suffered. And I died. Or for the original apostles, in a couple hours or a few hours more accurately. I'm going to die for sin. And then Paul says that Jesus said, take this cup, which is the blood of the new covenant. Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 26, adds the phrase, or Matthew tells us the additional detail, that Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. It was the blood of a new covenant. And what was that new covenant? God had promised through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, that that new covenant would bring many new things. But one of those things that God had promised through Jeremiah the prophet was in Jeremiah 31 and verse 34, I will forgive your sins and remember your iniquities no, iniquities no more. I'm not even going to remember them. I'm, going, I'm not even going to think about them. Not only am I not going to, not only am I, am I going to forgive them, but I'm not even going to remember them. We can't even forget the sins in our lives. But God can. He says, this is the covenant that I'm making with you. And so Paul says, Jesus said, remember these things. Memorialize these things as you eat the Lord's Supper. But then he says, that is Paul says, 
that we proclaim his death until he comes. Every time we eat this meal and we memorialize this meal, we are proclaiming Jesus' death, that he died. And the implication is we're also remembering that he's coming back because we're doing it until he dies. And Paul says, this is what the Lord's Supper is all about. This is the purpose. This is what we are memorializing. And so consider the Lord's Supper in our worship. We sing, and we need to sing. That's part of what we do in worship. We study His Word in a sermon, where we study a passage, or we study a topic, or we study some idea from Scripture, and we need to do that. But we also have a moment of reverent reflection of what Jesus did for us, thankfully recalling that he gave himself to be a sacrifice for our sins. That's what we're doing during the Lord's Supper. And we're doing that to memorialize Jesus and to be grateful for that and to think about what Jesus has done for us. Well, how do we do this week after week without treating it as ordinary? Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 28 that this is a very personal thing. He says in verse 28, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And and so a person brings his or her own motive and attitude to the communion service. What are you thinking about? Are you focused? Are you remembering what Jesus has done for you? But not only that, it's also a collective thing. How do we make sure that we are rightly memorializing Jesus' work? There's no right way or one way to do it. But we might read a passage that focuses on the, res- on the crucifixion of Jesus and what, his- what he suffered, or a related passage of the communion, the Lord's Supper. We might pray and reflect during the communion service and and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. But we need to use that as a respectful time of thinking about what Jesus has done for us. But then Paul also tells the Corinthians to consider one another. This is a collective action. Again, verse 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. Paul says, this is something that we're doing together. It's something that we're sharing together. If not everyone's able to get there, but you know they're coming, just wait for them. Don't make it an opportunity for you to be a glutton. Observe the Lord's Supper together. Share it together. Think about one another. It is a collective share. There are some, and we'll just mention this briefly, who will use this to say, you should never eat in the church building. Because Paul says, eat at home. But that's a gross and misuse of this passage. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about using the worship and using specifically the Lord's Supper in a mocking way and abusing the Lord's Supper. Don't take advantage of others. This morning as we gather around the table, let's do so with our minds focused on what Jesus has done for us. Let's think about his death 
his burial and his resurrection. Let's think about the fact that Jesus came in his humanity to be a sacrifice for our sins. I'm going to ask Ozzy to join me at the table. And let's join this meal together. This morning we've studied about the Lord's Supper. And I hope that it's been a positive reflection of what Jesus has done for us. The sacrifice that he made for us. A a remembrance that we need to memorialize what Jesus has done for us. And there may be some here this morning that need to actualize or realize that sacrifice by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Or maybe there are prayers that you need the church to make on your behalf or you have other needs that you want to make the church aware of. Whatever that need is, I encourage you and invite you to come and do that now. As together we stand and sing.